Here's your host of Sound Off, Brad Bennett. Well, good good afternoon and welcome back. I was just watching a video uh, coming off of the Gulf Coast. Well, no, it's actually coming off the Atlantic Coast. Fox News has a uh, crew that is out in the ocean approximately where the uh, balloon was shot down. And you know what? This guy is uh, this guy's talking about things they have already gotten out of the water. Remember, the water is only about 40 foot deep there. They uh, they referenced the fact that there may have even been explosives on this balloon. Now, what would that entail? Now, Brad, and why would? Yeah, I, I've got to ask you a couple of questions, but let me read this, right. the most recent statement. I have it here. The Please, U.S. military yes. is recovering debris from the suspected Chinese spy balloon that that was shot down off the coast of South Carolina this weekend. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said officials will be able to exploit what's recovered to learn more about the balloon's capabilities and mission. He added officials have already learned much about the balloon while monitoring it as it moved over the U.S. Meanwhile, he defended taking time to shoot it down, saying the White House was waiting until it was over water to prevent any potential injuries on the ground. And Brad, do you think the Chinese thought, what if they shoot it down? Yeah, well, you know, that of course they were part of it. Of course, that was yeah. part of what they thought. So what did they include? What's in here that's going to be so damning to the Chinese? Well, I would have thought probably electrical equipment that would have been uh, uh, very intense that they may be able to find that there was camera technology that would have brought things right up to, you know, like you're right there on the ground, that kind of thing. Maybe uh, videotaping equipment and teleporting exactly. to another location, yes. all of that kind of stuff. So yes. to say that they defend waiting to shoot it down over water to protect an antelope in Montana <laughs> is absurd <laughs> because they, they collected all this data from Montana through the middle of the U.S. all the way out into the ocean. No, it should have come down in Montana over open uh, land, and I think they could have found all of the debris and preserved it better than it falling into a saltwater body of water. Yeah. Now, if, if what this guy says, though, this morning, and of course, you got to realize this is just some uh, reporter sitting out on a rubber raft. But if, in fact, they do find traces of some explosive devices on this balloon, that even would make sense. Because perhaps it was set up so that the Chinese government could self-detonate itself without that stuff falling into our hands. Well, I think it's safe to say, Brad, you know you were in the military. I think there's a lot of data, a lot of uh, um, things that they know about this balloon that maybe they're not releasing, and I guess I don't have a big problem yeah. with that. But they were monitoring it. But my problem is that it, it it flew, it drifted, whatever, over the entire U.S. collecting data. Exactly. Yeah, collecting and maybe transponding that uh, information to some satellite system or some uh, collection system mo- that was not monitored by us and might be monitored by the uh, by the uh, uh, communist Chinese. And, w- and one of our listeners, Roger, sent me a very interesting email this morning, too, and said, why did we shoot it down with a Stinger missile? Couldn't we have just, uh, you know, our plane was supposedly up in... Uh, 
high atmosphere, not maybe not as high as the balloon, but was up in the 30,000 range atmosphere. Couldn't they have just used a 20 caliber gun and shot it down with that? Why, why use a Stinger missile? Because a missile could blow up some of the technology and things that maybe we want to put our hands on later. I mean, all of this stuff is going to be asked. You know, questions uh, more and more are going to be asked about all of this as we go along. But, uh, you know, we got other things to get into today, too. You know, as long as uh, we're talking about the Chinese, you know, I started to talk about the fact that they are acquiring uh, lots of uh, agricultural land. My my question to the listeners this morning is, is that something that we should be doing? Should we be... why is it we don't already have rules in this country about selling communist organizations our agricultural land? Well, now we, we the government, read. now the government's trying to put a bill together. Why didn't we already have that? Well, you, in place? you can't even get Congress to agree to uh, denounce socialism. <laughs> well, yeah, there is that. I guess. <laughs> Jeez, what was I thinking, man? I mean, really? I mean, did we not? Do we not think of any of this stuff when somebody when somebody from a, a foreign organization that's linked to the Chinese government buys 5000 acres of land uh, agricultural land in Illinois doesn't somebody look at that and say what what what's going on here why why, why are they buying our agricultural land and and secondly, the deal. why are we letting them oh void man. the transaction yeah, uh, that's all they got to do, I guess. Well, do like the mayor of uh, Grand Forks did. Uh, the mayor of Grand Forks had a situation like that happening just recently in Grand Forks, where the Chinese government wanted to build a corn uh, milling uh, plant. For why? Wait, wait, wait a minute. Are you going to mill the corn that our farmers are are are? Uh, uh, harvesting out in the mill, and then then they're going to be able to get it milled there and get it back and sell it someplace? Or were you planning on milling it and sending it maybe to China? But the, but the mayor of uh, Grand Forks, all of a sudden, with a little help from the military, let's face it, the military came to the mayor in Grand Forks and said, well, you know what, this is not a good idea. Grand Forks Air Base is located within miles of where they want to build this milling facility. It would not be too hard for them to put some sort of an electronic monitoring device in the mill to monitor everything that happens at the air base, the comings and goings, schedules, conversations, uh, everything. And the mayor, uh, being evidently of the right mind, said, yeah, you're right, this is not a good idea, and canceled the contract, which I would think they have every right to do. So, you know, I guess it's, uh, we just got to start paying attention a little bit more to what's going on. And I'm glad that somebody in Congress is now starting to come up with a bill to spot, to stop that. But again, I wonder why it wasn't done long ago. Anyway, we've got this little place over here, uh, not too far from right downtown where our studios are, where we have a uh, uh, where we have a lady referred to as NASCAR Nicole that we affectionately call her that because she loves NASCAR. <clears throat> NASCAR, did you get a call from somebody over the weekend that wanted you to come out and uh, flag some races out on the bay in Superior? 
Yeah, and they had they had invited me to come to it, but it was like the date kept changing, and I never really knew exactly what date it was supposed to be because the last oh. thing I saw was that it was going to be this, you know this coming weekend that they had changed yeah. it from last weekend, and so I never really committed to anything. And I wasn't really sure what 100% what they wanted me to do, but it would have been kind of fun to see. But it's okay. Um, you know, I missed out on that. But I watched the actual NASCAR race that was on um, last night. So, oh, good, yeah, good, they, good, they good. They started the, they started with the, what they, the Clash race, their fun race to start off the season. And it's at the L.A. Coliseum where USC Trojans. Yeah. And then where the, the Olympics, when they were in Los Angeles, that's where they had the Olympics. So they turned it into a racetrack for the one weekend, and then they, that's where they had the kickoff of the season. They did that last year, and they did that. Now, today. Nicole, what do they do? Do they actually pave areas around the, the outside of the football field and the athletic field they and put, race they on put, that? Or how? They put asphalt down on there somehow, but I don't know if it was like prefab stuff or how they did it because I didn't see the, how they configured it you know, beforehand okay. and after. But, but, yeah, there's actually asphalt, and they're actually racing on that. And uh, they had halftime concerts, and they had a whole bunch of stuff. So it was just kind of a fun way to kick off the season. The actual Daytona 500 is not this Sunday because of the stupid bowl. I mean, Super Bowl. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> sorry, the Daytona 500 is the 19th. Don't come at me for that, people. I'm sorry. I'm okay, sorry. all right. Anyway, I should have just, the super, because of the Super Bowl being on Fox, Daytona is actually the 19th. That's right. And that that usually, you know, I, I, I think there's been times when the Daytona 500 outdraws the audience for the Super Bowl. I mean, I, that's hard to yeah. say because that number's so big, but it is hard to say. It is a huge race. Yeah. But yeah. They can't both be shown on Fox at the same time, obviously. So, so no, Daytona no. is the 19th instead of next Sunday. So. Well, excellent. Yeah. And in the meantime, uh, things are rolling right along at the Dahlberg Law Firm. You guys are uh, in the process of working with a lot of people on their wills and estates and how to keep the cabin in the home and uh, in the family and all of that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, we do. We are doing that. We are keeping very busy. We've got lots of clients coming in, new clients, former clients, current you know current clients that want updates, um, new clients that have never had a will before. Um, clients that have gone to somebody else that had a will done but are looking to do an update. Those, you know, anybody, we, we have help all kinds yes. with estate planning, okay. in both Minnesota and Wisconsin. So all you have to do is give us a call at 218-722-5809, 218-722-5809, and we will gladly um, get that process started for you, whatever stage of estate planning that you're in, beginning or updates or changes or whatever you need Okay. All right. Well, uh, the Dahlberg Law Firm, licensed in both Minnesota and Wisconsin, is there to help you out with any of those kinds of issues. You know what? If you've got a legal issue and they can't handle it or they don't feel they do a good job at that, they'll even let you know that, and they'll maybe even make a reference or a referral for you. But uh, they're they're always trying to help you. Yeah. Yeah. If we have a reference for that specific area, we definitely will. So. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Nicole. Have you're a great welcome. time. And I, I know you're getting all excited about the uh, the Daytona 500. And, boy, a lot of people are down here. In fact, I think this weekend at Daytona is like the second biggest weekend at Daytona. I think this is called Bike Week. Oh, probably. Yeah, I think Yeah, so. they have thousands of motorcycles from all over the country head down there. Yep. 
So, yeah, it's going to be a crazy couple of weeks in Florida. (laughs) (laughs) All right, thanks. Did you hear what happened this morning? Boston got down to 10 below. Actually, it was Saturday (laughs) morning. They got down to 10 below. It's the first time they've been in double digits below zero since 1957. Oh, my God. What happened to global warming, Kenny? That is astonishing. Well, there was news over the weekend also that the coldest wind chill on record occurred at 110 below zero. No, I'm sorry. That was with the uh, that was with the somewhere uh, up in Maine, wasn't it? That was with the wind gust. Uh, The coldest wind chill was 109. The air temp was, I believe, 46 and the wind was up around 97, somewhere in that range. But uh, 109 below zero wind chill at <laughs> Mount Washington yeah, in New that's Hampshire. What I remember. Okay, in New Hampshire. All right. High elevation there, I would assume. Very high. Yeah, what is Mount Washington? Is it eight thousand feet? I don't know. And I'm not sure why they follow that stuff because if weather affects people, I mean, give us the temperature on the moon. I mean, there's no people there as there is, isn't at Mount Washington. I mean, you know. Now, wait a minute. How do you know there's no people on the moon? Haven't you heard of the man on the moon? Oh, you're right. Maybe there is. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the lower 48, I can tell you this, that at the morning check, 13 below at Seagull Lake. Well, here we are now at the 1 p.m. Eastern time update. We've got the coldest in the lower 48 at two Minnesota stations, 13 below at Seagull Lake, Minnesota, and minus 13 at Brimson, Minnesota. Woo! Not so extremely cold, but <laughs> nonetheless, coldest in the lower 38 at minus 13 at two yes. Minnesota locations. Well, we better take this uh, this first break here. We're uh, kind of run past that. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about people buying up agricultural land, especially the Chinese, uh, when we come back after this first break. KDAL time is one twenty four twenty seven at the uh, Sky Harbor Airport uh, down on Minnesota Point. And sometime after 4 p.m. here in the Twin Ports, we can expect uh, some mixed precipitation. Uh, there could be, be snow. There, there could be a trace of snow to two inches here in the Twin Ports. And there could be some ice accumulation. And the uh, greatest snowfall amounts right now are uh, along uh, the uh, coast of Lake Superior in Cook County. There has been some crazy weather over the country this last couple of weeks. Uh, Texas has had a lot of ice storms, yeah. rain, snow, yeah. a little of everything. Well, Brad, it's tornadoes. because of gas stoves. Oh, well, then we got to get rid of them. Don't oh, you yeah, think? yeah. Gas stoves and, and gas cars. <laughs> of course. You know, real quickly, I want to mention this because we have a lot of people in our listening area that are of uh, Scandinavian descent, a Swede, Norwegian, and what have you. Today is National, I'm sorry, it's Sami National Day, Sami. And Sami is... Sami is a Finnish, right? Well, Sami is a cultural celebration of the Sami people, the national holiday, uh, the Sami people, um, or... Uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce these words in Norwegian. They're indigenous people who live mainly in Norway, but also Finland, Russia, and Sweden. So they are indigenous people to that region, Sami National Day today. And my wife, uh, Jan, has found that there is Sami in her her background. Well, I I was going to ask you, I forgot to do that earlier in the show, how did you uh, enjoy your moyaka? 
Brad, I loved it. We went up to Lusky Island. Did you Fest. really? We did Lusky Island. We saw Kelly, uh, Grandma's Old Fashioned Bubbles. She was there. We bought some uh, soap. We had uh, Moyaka. It's basically a stew, and it was great. Yes, right. It was really good. They had a nice little dessert. I'm not sure what it was, but that was good as well. And uh, we had a good time. We really did. It was a nice ride up. Oh, fantastic. That's great. Yeah. No, those uh, pe- people like that, they love it when we come up and be part of their celebrations. And they do a great job. They, they, I bet you they had a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, people making different products and selling them and things, right? They do. Other than the soap. They do, yeah. yes. And my wife bought a pair of mittens that were uh, a Swedish uh, heritage. I'm not sure who the person was, but she bought some real nice mittens. I will say this. We've been up to uh, Lusky Island in the past. And, of course, COVID canceled the previous yeah, two. a couple of years. That yeah. parking lot was packed. Was and really? I, I looked at Jen and I said, oh, boy, I think that Moyaka line is going to be pretty long. Well, it wasn't. I think a lot of people really? were there to slide. Uh, we did not yeah. slide, but uh, we had a good time. It was fun. Now, Moyaka has uh, the only difference, I think, from when I've tasted it, from that and a regular standard, like a beef stew, yeah. beef, beef yeah. soup or something, is that the the gravy seemed a little thicker. Oh, uh, okay. Or the, I don't know if you found that to be not the same in this. Way, this was a beef stew to me, a soup if you like, but it was a beef. It was uh, potatoes, rutabaga, carrots. Yep. Was there peas in there and some onions? I'm not sure. Might have uh, been peas. Tasted great, yeah. Brad. It was real good. I'd eat it over and over again. I would buy it if it was in the restaurant or on the shelves. Moyaka soup. Well, yeah, give me some. Why? They got to have somebody locally <laughs> that would be making that. Oh. By the way, remember earlier in the show, I asked you about what in the world is non binary? Well, one of our listeners sent me the make right out of Webster's Dictionary. Binary evidently denotes having or relating to a gender identity that does not conform to traditional binary beliefs about genders, which includes that all individuals are exclusively either male or female. Well, then they should talk different. Because, I mean, really, they should, I am non-binary, I am not a male or a female. Yeah, yeah. I mean, realistically, how many people fall into that category? I understand that there could be nature uh, will sometimes. I mean, I mean, I'm watching Dr. Poe the other day on TV, and I'm seeing this calf that was born with a leg coming out of its uh, uh, out of the top of its uh, back. Well, that's not normal. But uh, you know, is, does that make is that a separate category of calf? I don't think so. I think it was. Ju- it's just a calf that was born not with the normal gender beliefs. Anyway, enough of that. I want to wrap this thing up about the uh, purchase of land because this represented this Congresswoman Miller, who represents Illinois. She said, "Look, the the difference here is." She said, I, "I'm a farmer. I know that foreign land purchases are especially an issue in rural America, where the Chinese Communist Party is attempting to buy land in our country to gain strategic leverage over the United States and our food supply." 
Now, that that hits it pretty straightforward. She went on to say Republicans at the state level have also been sounding the alarm on foreign land purchases. Uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, North or South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, and Texas GOP Governor Greg Abbott have all said that they are considering blocking China from buying American farm land. And it would seem to me that that's a, a very common sense approach that should have been done a long time ago. But anyway, I digress. We have got to go to our CBS News, and we'll come back with more shortly here on Sound Off on a Monday afternoon. You and I in a little toy shop, buy a bag of balloons with the money we've got, set them free at the break of dawn, till one by one they were gone. Back at base, box the software, flash the message, something's out there, floating in the summer sky. 99 red balloons go by. KDAL time is 134. 99 red balloons. I wondered if you were going to be digging that one out of the archives. So a senior U.S. general says the uh, the balloon that the Chinese flew over the U.S. was 200 feet tall. Yeah. And had... Uh, had a certain amount of electronic or uh, some controlling mechanism hanging from the bottom of it. Uh, the video that uh, I saw last night, uh, one of the military analysts was saying it, it appeared like it was some sort of a, um, a system that could control the way the, fl- the flight of the balloon would move. Well, it's interesting um, because, Brad, this payload, according to this uh, Air Force general, says that the payload weighed a couple thousand pounds. His name is General Van Herc. He added okay. that several incidents involving such balloons occurred during the Trump administration and early under the Biden administration, but weren't detected by the U.S. military until after the fact and through the collection of intel. Hmm. Interesting. He called it a domain awareness gap. Yeah, well... Chinese are on to us, Brad. We've got our guard down. We're not worried about that. We're worried about, uh, you know, gender equality, climate... (laughs) I mean, really. I, I mean, you know, isn't that my wife said to me the other night, you know, and Kenny, we both have wives that are very influential in our in our lives. Yeah. And and I think they both are pretty smart uh, cookies. My wife said, you know, I suppose there's a, a, a connection here between the fact that China is loading us up with uh, with uh, all kinds of drugs. Uh, you know, how many million pounds of fentanyl have they found already? And it all ends up coming from China. Do you think there might be an attempt here to numb us dead with fentanyl and then kind of move in and just to take over what they want? Kind of questions, you know, you, you, you really wonder. The other thing, you, you kind of alluded to it. China's a different kind of cat, a different stray kind of cat. They, uh, the Maoists, uh, Mao believed that they were always at war, that there was no peacetime. Uh, it's all war all the time. And uh, if, you ever, if you've ever read any of the books by Sun Tzu, a lot of Marines get into this uh, Sun Tzu. Uh, you know, it's a kind of a book about war, how to create war. Um, they believe that there's a, that you size up your prospective foe and that you make demands that are tallying up uh, ships, planes, tanks. That you don't you don't worry about that. You worry about their industrial capability. 
and you try to take over that from the government. And uh, if that's the case, maybe that's why the tie-in with uh, trying to take over a lot of our farming land, our industrial land, all of that may be something that are connected some way or another. Anyway, I referred to the fact that uh, that there's still this war going on. Well, now we have uh, evidently our government and the German government have decided that we're going to send tanks uh, to uh, help out with this. That, that, that I'm sure is going to endure Russia to us even better. So, so I look at what's going on this morning, and evidently Russian forces are keeping the Ukrainian troops tied down with fighting in the eastern Donbass region as Moscow assembles additional combat power there for an, uh, for an expected offensive in the coming weeks, Ukrainian officials have uh, said Monday. Weeks of intense fighting continued to rage around the cities of Bukmat and nearby towns of Solodar and Buldar. Uh, these are Ukrainian, according to the uh, presidential uh, Ukrainian office. They are located in the Dunsk region with uh, with neighboring Lushank region making up uh, part of that region as well. These are both uh, formerly industrial areas bordering Russia. The battle for the region is heating up and we're coming into the springtime for the, for a potential Russian invent, uh, or invasion or I should say Russian front movement. Russians are throwing new units into the battle and they're they're literally eradicating towns and villages, according to certain leaders in uh, in the Ukraine. The Russians are saving ammunition for a large-scale offensive that they're getting ready to move into. So don't take your eyes off of, uh, off of what is going on in the Ukraine. Uh, Western military has helped establish, uh, is, has been essential for Kiev up till now, or Kiev, um, Canadian Defense Minister Aneta Anand tweeted last Sunday that the first Leopold tanks from Canada, uh, they're being donated to the Ukraine, have arrived in Poland, and they're trying to uh, figure out uh, the uh, the process to get them moved from Poland into the battlefield. It's not as simple as just putting them on a train car, because that's something that, uh, uh, that the Ukraine... Uh, would love to do, except that Russia can spot those from satellites and they can hit those things. So it's going to be a a, a difficult way to find these tanks moving into this region uh, in the future. Anyway, um, another thing, uh, a couple other things coming up. As we stated, this uh, the downing of this balloon really, I don't think, had as much. Well, here's the question I want to ask you. The Chinese have have just said that this was really nothing more than a weather balloon and that we're getting all worked up about nothing. Well, then let me ask this question. Why did not the Chinese contact us when they supposedly knew that this weather balloon, quote unquote, was was uh, headed off course and was somehow working its way up through the uh, Aleutians and up through uh, northern Alaska, then down through uh uh, Canada and then down all the way across. Why didn't the Chinese pick, uh, simply pick up the red phone and say, hey, Biden, I uh, got a problem here. One of our uh, weather balloons is kind of uh, taken off on its own. Nobody in the United States, nobody in the military believes that this was a weather balloon. 
So why is it that China is trying to blow smoke up our tushies now and pretend that uh, they knew all along that this was just a weather balloon and it was out of control? Uh, they're going to be very surprised if we come up with materials out in that uh, 40-foot deep cavernous area off of the Atlantic coast, off of North North Carolina, and find some very specific electronic devices that we know might have been broadcasting information back to China. Uh, they're going to have a hard time just uh, uh, pu- putting that out there is no big deal. So, and, and the thing I want everybody to remember in our listening audience is that uh, China is a is a uh, warlike nation. They've been that forever. Um, ever since Mao came into power so many, many years ago, uh, their, their whole thing is, is a, a state of war. And they are building up one of the largest military forces ever in the existence of mankind. And we better make sure that we keep up and that we're ready. Um, because if we don't, we could be in for some real um, serious things in the future uh, when we get up against China. They're communist, anyway, Brad. It's a communist are. regime. That's right. They don't like and, us. Uh, they don't like us at all. They don't like our way of life. Uh, they 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 think we're soft, and in maybe some areas we we probably are. And <laughs> I mean, when yeah. we, like you said, Kenny, when we're so concerned about non-binaries. Um, they probably look at that and say, oh, very soft country. They want to dominate the U.S., and that's been something that they've been wanting to do for decades. And uh, I think they're getting closer and closer, Brad. Yeah, I think you might very well be right. Well, see, I, I knew it was going to happen, Kenny. Uh-oh. <laughs> Did you fall off your chair? No. Oh, okay. No, no, no but I found my uh, script I was looking for. Oh, good, 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 good. <laughs> but that's good because we're, we're ready. Well, listen, we got to go to our Minnesota news break. And then we come back. I got some local things I want to bring up here before we're out of time today as well. So we'll be right back shortly. Thank you and good evening. The sponsor has been identified, but unlike most television programs, the performer hasn't been provided with a script. As a matter of fact, I have been permitted to choose my own words and discuss my own ideas regarding the choice that we face in the next few weeks. I have spent most of my life as a Democrat. I recently have seen fit to follow another course. I believe that the issues confronting us cross party lines. Now, one side in this campaign has been telling us that the issues of this election are the maintenance of peace and prosperity. The line has been used, we've never had it so good. But I have an uncomfortable feeling that this prosperity isn't something on which we can base our hopes for the future. And that, of course, is the words of uh, Ronald Reagan. That was 1964. That was the Goldwater for Prez speech, uh, or a debate, Ah, rather. And Ronald Reagan was born on February 6th in 1911. Ronald Reagan uh, passed away at the age of 93 in June of 2004. And born on this day, President Ronald Reagan. Well, I'll tell you what, if you ever get the opportunity, you got to go to his library out there in Simi Valley. It, I've, I've had the luxury of going there, and it's more than just a library. It's a, it's quite a facility. It's a, it's on there on what his former ranch land was, and uh, it's got everything, including Air Force One in there, the Air Force One that was available at the time oh, yeah. he was president. Yeah. Yeah, you can walk right on it. You can look around. You can see where he used to sit and do communications. And it's pretty interesting stuff. 
Well, you know, the, I, I want to get off this balloon thing, but I keep getting things from people, including this from Roger. And, and this is a, maybe an approach that we haven't thought about. He says, look, here's an angle I've not heard mentioned. Maybe it wasn't brought down over the land because our intelligence people wanted to monitor it to see how it behaved and moved across the country so that we could better cope with future such threats, what it, what it was capable of. I know we have a lot of very sophisticated jamming capabilities, and I would like to think that we would have been able to prevent it from transmitting anything we didn't want sent. Perhaps we could have even caused it to send fake info that we wanted sent. Now, I don't know about that because I don't know what level they communicated with the, uh, shall we say, the mothership, for lack of a better word. But uh, but that is an interesting philosophy. Maybe it was something we were monitoring them as much as they were monitoring us. Um, anyway, though, I want to spend the last couple of minutes here uh, Walls's budget, according to the Minneapolis Star this morning, uh, Walls's budget is ambitious, pricey, and, uh, and maybe it's not even affordable. Uh, maybe because of the way it's set up, uh, it makes it uh, something that uh, we're going to regret. Governor Tim Walls has described his budget as transformational, holistic, and long-range. And it might be all of those things, but the question is, can Minnesotans afford it? Walls rightly wants to move the state beyond the crisis management of the last few years and end the intense gridlock in which one of the many nation, one of the only uh, non-divided governments. In other words, used to be Minnesota had a divided government. We had uh, we had the we had the. Uh, we, the, the DFL owned the government control of the of the governor's office and this and the legislature, but the Senate was controlled by the by the House. Now they have the trifecta: the governor, the House, the Senate. It all has one of the nation's largest projected surpluses of more than seventeen billion dollars. But walls and lawmakers must still think carefully about which investment to make and apply reasonable standards to what it's sustainable and what taxpayers can bear. Because anything you add to the budget that has tentacles, in other words, that has to be funded every year, year after year, you may not find the same money available in the years to come once this surplus is burnt up and used up. The surplus indeed represents a once-in-a-generation opportunity to maybe catch up on some uh, overdue investments in things like health care and uh, things like that, the host of items that can contribute to a more robust future. Democrats have been lawmakers at breakneck, have been lawmaking at breakneck speed. In fact, I think we've had more bills passed already in this first couple of weeks of the session than we have in, uh, in sometimes in sessions complete. Proposals that have been brought over for years, including bills on the abortion rights legislation, climate change, driver's licenses uh, for all, etc. But other policies are on the table with significant costs attached. Here in a state government run by one party is at risk if it does not exhibit some caution, some prudence choices, and realize that as worthy as some programs are, Minnesota's pockets 
are not bottomless. This comes from an editorial, by the way, in the Star Tribune, which usually is uh, pretty left-leaning. Walls's budget would grow from $52 billion to $65 billion over the next two years. Think about it, Northlanders. That's a 25% increase in just two years. It's a little less than half of that is ongoing spending. Uh, the package includes a rich $5 billion in tax relief, including uh, child care uh, tax credits that Walves said would help reduce child poverty. He says he's going to reduce child poverty by 25%. I don't know that that's possible. Uh, reductions in Social Security taxes. Yeah, he's going to reduce some Social Security tax for some people, but not all of it, like most states have done. And a one-time $1,000 income tax credit or rebate check for individuals making up to 75000 and 2000 for couples earning up to 150000 uh, that have dependents. Uh, child ca- child tax credit phases out for ho- for households with more than fifty thousand in income, but child care credits are available for households making up to two hundred and forty nine thousand. Now Walls is also calling for one point five billion in new taxes and fees, a payroll tax for paid family leave. Uh, this this would be for the individual and also the the state paying into that fund or the business paying into that fund, a metro-wide sales tax of an eighth of a cent for transit to help come up with the never-ending amount of money that they need for some of these light rail projects, uh, the red line, the blue line, the green line, etc. Fees for parking, fees for boating, fees for fishing, and higher vehicle license tabs as well. So it's kind of never-ending in the state of Minnesota. We'll be talking more about that tomorrow, but I hope you enjoy the day today, and we'll be back at it Tuesday morning right here on uh, 610 